Hey everyone, welcome to week three of our Kingdom of God Discipleship Module. And this week we're looking at the relationship between the Kingdom of God and the church. So in the first week, uh, we looked at the countercultural nature of God's kingdom by contrasting how Jesus spoke about his kingdom uh, with how other people uh, thought about what a kingdom should be. And last week, Pastor Brian took us through all of scripture to see how the kingdom of God develops from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And this week, we are going to dive into uh, to understand what the relationship is between the kingdom of God and the church. Uh, now, remember, we're saying that the kingdom is where life is in harmony with God. The kingdom is where life is in harmony with God. Uh, some people have kind of cynically said, well, Jesus, you know, he preached about the kingdom, this great and, and glorious thing. But then the apostles came up with the church, right? Jesus was the visionary uh, founder, but the apostles were kind of like the CPAs and MBAs who wanted to standardize and systematize everything. Jesus started the movement and the apostles turned it into a bureaucracy. Uh, but in these next videos, my goal is to show you that organic relationship between the kingdom and the church. That these things are not opposed, but are actually interrelated. And to show how the church is actually where the action is for the growth and building of God's kingdom. Or to put it another way, the church is ground zero for where God's kingdom life is manifested. So with that introduction, let's jump right in. Now, it's easy to understand why some would say there is a division between Jesus speaking out the kingdom and his vision and the church. Uh, in a large part because Jesus really doesn't talk about the church very much. In the Gospels, we actually only have two places where Jesus specifically mentions the church in Matthew 16, 18, and then Matthew 18, 17. Now, we're going to look at Matthew 16, 18 in a moment, but if we go beyond the Gospels, we see there is actually a close relationship between Jesus and his church. So consider Acts chapter 9, where Saul, later known as Paul, is traveling on the road of Damascus to capture any Christians that he can find in that city. But his journey is interrupted when suddenly a light from heaven flashes all around him and Saul hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, think about this for a moment. Paul hasn't touched Jesus. Jesus has been safely in heaven for this whole time. So who is Paul persecuting? Well, back in Acts 8.3, it says, but Saul began to destroy the church. Now, but Jesus asked, well, why are you persecuting the church or, or my church? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so closely identifies his church with his church that when it hurts, he hurts. And this undoubtedly left a great impression on Saul, turned Paul. And later in his letter to the Ephesians, he writes in Ephesians 5, 29, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. It's hard not to read that and think back to Saul's experience on the Damascus Road, where Jesus identifies the pain of the church as his pain. Here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul calls church, calls the church, Christ's body. And so it would be a mistake to think of the church as something that is not intimately related to and cared for by Christ. Well, with that, let's look more closely at Matthew 16, 18. This is the key verse where Jesus introduces the church and shows its relationship to the kingdom. 
So let's read the verse in context. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, a few things to know. First, Jesus says that he will build my church. This sets his church as separate from other churches. The Greek word for church, ekklesia, is the word that is used in the Greek Old Testament to describe the congregation or assembly of Israel. So we see that Christ's church is that place where Jesus is confessed as Messiah. It is the new congregation taking the place of the old congregation of Israel. And today, while there are many churches, Christ's church or my church is where Jesus is confessed as Lord and Messiah. Next note how Jesus refers to the church in something of a future state. I will build. I will give. One of the reasons Jesus doesn't talk as much about the church is because it is something that will be established in the future. Most likely when he is resurrected and ascended into heaven is what he's thinking about. And next, see how Peter's confession of Jesus as Lord and Jesus' promise to build his church that Matthew notes right after that is when Jesus begins to show his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer, be killed, and raised on the third day so that there is a tie to the church in Jesus' death and resurrection. And Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The the gates of Hades were considered the strongest gates there are, the the gates to the realm of the dead. Nothing could penetrate them. And, And Jesus is making the point that the power given to his church will be a power that is stronger than even that of the strongest things. The power of death itself will not conquer it. But the key thing is next. Jesus gives us a link between his church and his kingdom. After saying upon this rock, Peter's confession of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus will build his church. Jesus then gives Peter the keys of the kingdom. Now, we don't have time to go into the details of of what all those keys are, but we can simply say that the keys are the keys that open and shut the gates into the kingdom. Now, traditionally, we have described this as a church leader's authority to enforce the who and the what of the gospel. The who in terms of who is making a right confession of Jesus as Lord, a, a, a you know, profession of faith, and the what. What is the content of that gospel that we confess? And notice that Jesus shows a connection between heaven and earth, saying that what Peter binds on earth will be bound in heaven, and what is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so an implication of that is that the kingdom of heaven must exist in some way here on earth. Now, just note, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, these things are often uh, interchangeable. They're referring to the same thing. So that what Peter does in his administration of the keys of the kingdom here on earth is recognized up in heaven. And because of the context of Jesus talking about building his church, we can say that the church is 
the beginning of the manifestation of the kingdom of God. Gerhard Voss puts it this way, the church actually has within herself the power of the world to come. She is more than the eminent kingdom as it existed before Jesus' exaltation. She forms an intermediate link between the present life and the life of all eternity. If we were to think of this kind of visually, and we said that there was, um, we have the kingdom of heaven here, or the kingdom of God, you know, exists up in heaven. And then if we have, we say, here's his church. And then there's kind of the broader kingdom of uh, kingdoms of the earth. And uh, here at one particular spot in, on the kingdoms of earth is his church. And what Jesus is saying is, they're giving Peter the keys of the kingdom there. And, and even as we think of the church as the body of Christ, Christ is up here in heaven. His body's down here. There is a link between heaven and earth that is connected in the church. The church is in one sense a portal into the blessings and the powers of the kingdom of heaven. So let's explore this idea a little bit more by looking at Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself Give the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. There's a ton going on in this passage, but I want to draw your attention to a few things. The overall theme here is talking about the gifts that Christ gives to his church. And there's a diversity of gifts noted at the beginning of the passage. To each one of us, uh, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. John Calvin says, No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. A certain proportion is allotted to each, and it is only by communicating with each other that all enjoy what is sufficient for maintaining their respective places in the body. We can think very simply what Calvin is getting at here is that a body is not a functioning body unless it is actually connected together, right? Your hand is useless if it's sitting on the table across the room. Your leg does no good if you left it in the basement. A body has to be connected for actually to be functioning healthy, healthily. And in the same way, the body of Christ, the church, is only functioning healthy and the individual parts of it are only functioning as healthy members of that body if they are connected to it. This is why there's such an emphasis on gathering together as the body of Christ, of communing together and sharing in our life together. The church is where the gifts of Christ come together and work together in harmony. Now, as we move to the next uh, couple verses, Paul references Psalm 68 
where David is singing this song of triumph for all of the victories that God has given his people. And then the psalm goes on to speak of like this procession, this victory parade with tens of thousands of chariots ascending up this holy mountain in, you know, celebrating God's victory over the nations. And all the people in this victory parade are giving to God their treasures, their gifts. It's like the plunder of war. And and it outfits God's dwelling place with all his trophies from all these victories that he's achieved. But Paul, interestingly, tweaks the psalm's wording to say that instead of he received gifts, as in the original psalm, he says he gave gifts. And he's making the point that the plunders of the war that Christ received when he conquered the power of Satan, he has collected uh, those not to keep for himself, but to give to his church. Maybe if we think it even slightly in a different way, that God has furnished his house with the plunder of gifts from the nations as he's conquered evil. And what is his house? It is the church the growing temple of the body of Christ, the believers gathered together as living stones. Christ's ascension into heaven was like a victory parade after a war, and Christ is throwing the gifts of his victory as represented in his resurrection out to all those gathered around him, his church. Now, what are these gifts? Well, verse 11 So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, most people don't think of these things as gifts. They don't think, oh, Pastor John, such a nice gift for Jordan Valley Church. But it's interesting that these are the primary gifts that Paul draws our attention to. Now, these aren't all the gifts, but they are the foundational ones. They are the ones in which the kingdom is built and other gifts follow. Now, notice how all these gifts are word-focused. Because the means through which God's kingdom is expanded is through the proclamation of God's word. It is God's word that created the world. It is God's word that does a work of new creation in people's hearts and souls. And that is the way the kingdom spreads, through God's word being proclaimed into the nations and expanding the borders of his church. So... The church is this portal from heaven that connects to earth, and the church is kind of like the socket that it plugs into. And if we bring in the promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we thought that this was supposed to happen through a earthly land of Canaan, right? Where if Israel had followed God's will and achieved those promises, Canaan would become this blessed land that radiates the warmth and beauty of God throughout the earth. But what we see from the New Testament is actually the church is the new land of Canaan, the new Israel, in which Jesus has deposited his end time kingdom of heaven gifts to then be used by the church to be a blessing to all of the nations. The church is kind of like this pump house for the blessing and growth of the kingdom to expand into all of life for Christ. Herman Ritterboss says, The church is the community of those who, as the true people of God, 
receive the gifts of the kingdom of heaven in a provisional manner, and one day will receive them in perfection. See, friends, this is why I love the church. This is why this church is so central. And certainly, churches screw it up all the time, and we make big mistakes. But in the end, if we understand God's vision for the church, the church is where the action is. The church is the center point for where the renewal of all things will occur. Going back to Gerhardus Voss, he writes, The work that the work inaugurated by Jesus aims at nothing less than a supernatural renewal of the world, whereby all evil will be overcome, a renewal of the physical as well as uh, the spiritual world. That's our hope, the renewal of all things, and it happens through the church.